Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Let's dive right in today. I remember uh, on June the 12th, 1987, and I know that dates me a little bit, and there are probably several of you in the room who weren't even born on June the 12th, 1987. Uh, let's see, I had just turned 13. Uh, yeah, not, not even a week before that. But uh, on June the 12th, 1987, now you're all doing the math. Like, how old is he? Um, <clears throat> On June the 12th, 1987, 43, by the way. So, on June the 12th, 1987, I remember watching as then-President Ronald Reagan, at a celebration commemorating the 750th anniversary of the city of Berlin, made a speech at the Brandenburg Gate, which was along the Berlin Wall. And uh, for those of you who are younger and may not know, uh, there was this huge wall, sounds eerily similar to rhetoric that's going on today, but I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that alone. Um, but there was this wall um, that was built in the city of Berlin to separate what was West Berlin and, and Soviet communist-occupied East Berlin. So anyway, uh, he stood at the gate and made a speech on the 750th anniversary of the city, and he famously made this statement. President Reagan said, We welcome change and openness. For we believe that freedom and security go together. And I so wish I could do a Reagan voice. That would be so incredible. Uh, we welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace... If you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? Yeah, some of you want to clap even still. You remember that moment in history. You remember how powerful that moment was. And you also remember that only a few short months later, or actually only a few years later, on November 29th, 1989, I watched and probably many of you watched as thousands of Berliners from East and West celebrated in the streets. The gates were open and people poured through the gates and others took up hammers and began swinging them at the wall that had separated them for so long. Finally, after years of separation, there were no East Berliners and West Berliners. There were only Berliners. And then again, after only a few months, there was no East Germany and West Germany. There was only Germany. No East Germans and West Germans, only Germans. And as I recalled that moment in history, and I recalled the fact that it paved the way for sweeping change across Eastern Europe, the eventual fall of the Soviet Union, and the end of the Cold War, and I mean, all of these incredible things that we look back on now, that that moment is, was kind of a galvanizing moment for that. And it brought about 
uh, some changes that were incredible in our world that we really didn't even imagine at that time could happen. And I thought it was such a beautiful picture of what the Apostle Paul talks about and what we're going to look at in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 today. I thought it was such a beautiful picture of what God desires to do between peoples. You see, in the first half of Ephesians 2, Pastor Mel talked to us last week uh, about God's work of reconciling individuals, each of us as people, to himself. And then Paul, in the second half of this chapter, is going to turn his attention to God's work in reconciling peoples to one another. So, so let's take a look at what he has to say. Ephesians chapter 2, begin reading in verse number 11. Paul says this, Therefore, uh, now, when I was in Bible college, they told us that when you see a therefore, look to see what it's there for. So Paul has spent all of this time building up to this, talking about, as he, would, as he put it, the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us. That he would call those who were far away near to him. And so Paul then says, in light of that, therefore remember. Underline that word if you've got a paper Bible. If you don't, just tap it and it'll tell you to highlight. Um, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And so he goes back to this idea, right? He goes back to this truth. He goes back to this reality that each of us was separated from Jesus. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... I love this. Uh, This is the second time in this chapter that Paul has done this as well. He takes this dramatic turn. Now, if you know about, uh, you know, English grammar and how this works, uh, anybody remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, you remember the conjunction junction? Yeah. What's your function? Yeah. So, uh, but there's this little breakdown section in the song where it goes, and, that's an additive, like this and that, or, or, that's the, you know. But then he says, you know, but is the opposite, right? Not this, but that. So he says, you were alienated, you were separated, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul is adamant here that part of God's intent and purpose and work in the world is not only to reconcile us as individuals to himself, but to reconcile peoples to one another. So to give you a little historical background, right, God's promise And his covenant with Abraham, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, God speaks to Abraham, and he tells Abraham that he's going to give him a son, right? And then then his promise is that that he will give him more children, right, than the stars in the sky. And then he says this, God says to him, I will bless you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But if we fast forward to Paul's time, Israel has forgotten that this is God's intent for them. And rather than take the promise and the covenant as something that they are to share with the rest of the world, they have said that the promise and the covenant and the law is something that makes them superior to the rest of the world. It has given them a way of looking down on the rest of the world and creating separation and building a wall of hostility hostility between God and God's people and the rest of the earth. And so Paul calls for these Ephesians, these Gentiles to whom he's writing this letter, to remember that that was the place that they had found themselves in, that that is where they come from. In fact, if you look in your text, in most, in, um, in most versions of the Bible, when it says you were called the uncircumcision, there'll be quotation marks around that. And the reason for that is that the word that Paul used there, which, I mean, it, it is the word for uncircumcision, but the word that he uses there had been used essentially as a racial slur by Jews against those who were not Jewish. And so he's calling them to remember that they had been people who were derided. They had been people who were separated. They had been people who were ridiculed. They had been people who had, been, had a label placed on them that they had no control over. In fact, Paul says it's based on something that man does. It's based on a sign in the flesh. It's based on something that is that you had no control over, that was arbitrary, that's a matter of culture, that's a matter of, of some difference, that, that is an external thing. And Paul says that's what you've been identified as, and that's what you've been identified with. And the interesting thing about that as well is that the Jews were not the only people group who circumcised their, their children. And so even they understood that that outward sign really didn't matter much. But they lived in a way that said that it did. They lived in a way that caused other people to feel that they were the have-nots because they didn't follow that law. So Paul says, this is where you were. 
you were separated from God. And the reality is, and what Paul will, will, will emphasize, not only in this chapter, but in chapter 4, is that that is the place that we all are before God. We are all separated. We were all alienated. We were all strangers. We were all foreigners. We were all without hope and without God in the world. And so the, the first key to reconciliation between people is for us to come to grips with that truth, to remember where we've been brought from. See, we, we're forgetful. I mean, we just are, right? That's how, that, you know, the, the, and the further time and distance separate us from an event in our life, the easier it is for us to forget just how significant something may have been. And so it's easy for us to fall into this trap where we think, you know, we think that before we came to God, we were pretty good. Right? And, and God just made us better. Right? I was okay. Right? I was a good person. But God made me better. But the problem with that is that that's not the gospel. The gospel is not a self-improvement plan. It's not a behavior modification plan. It's not about God making good people better. Now, now, it's not that God doesn't want us to grow and to mature and to be better people. But, but that has nothing to do with His love for us or the grace that's been extended to us. But we, we like to live as if that were the case, that somehow we can earn our way in. I was listening to Louis Giglio recently, and he was talking about this, 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 this particular uh, issue and, and he started talking about rockets. If you're familiar with Louis Giglio, he kind of does that. He'll be talking about one thing, and then he'll go off on this tangent, and you wonder where he's going, but then he brings it back. Uh, but uh, he starts talking about rockets and about jet propulsion. And he, but he said, you know, you build a rocket, and you put the engine in there, and you ignite this fuel, and it creates this uh, force that lifts the rocket off the ground and into the air and lifts it from one plane to another. And he said, we often view the gospel in that way. Like we had this rocket and God basically just lit the fuse and then somehow there's this, you know, it, that, that we have some, some, something in place already that God can work with. But the problem with that, and he said this, the problem with that is that dead men don't build rockets. And see, the gospel isn't about God making good people better. The gospel is about God making dead people alive. And so Paul is, is adamant that we remember where we were and where God brought us from. And the reason for that is that the cross then is the great equalizer. 
when we truly wrestle with and we truly come to grips with the depth of our desperate need for Jesus, the fact that we truly were hopeless and helpless and without God in the world, the fact that each of us truly was dead and could in no way remedy our situation, could in no way improve or help the situation that we were in, there had to be something greater than death that came to bear on us. And it's only the gospel of Jesus. It's only his sacrifice for us. It's only the work that he has done. It's only the fact that he would call out to those who were far off and bring us near that we have any standing before God. And that is true of every individual, every person.